HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cutting the Curd is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American international style and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? For more information, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, bringing you this month's author interview. Today our guest is Chester Hastings, author of The Cheesemonger Seasons. Hi, Chester. Well, hi there. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. I'm so excited to be uh, to be speaking with you all, and uh, we're looking forward to it. Oh, great, great, great. Now, not only is your book, The Cheesemonger Seasons, um, beautiful and delicious, it's perfectly described by its own, uh, I guess, is it a subtitle or byline? It's called Recipes for Enjoying Cheeses with Ripe Fruits and Vegetables. Did you come right. up with that, or...? I did, yeah. I mean, obviously, it was you know a, a need to clarify. Um, you know, uh, the Cheesemonger Stevens is the second book uh, uh, followed by the, the Cheesemonger's Kitchen, uh, which was my first attempt to kind of distill, uh, uh, I guess, dispel the myths and the, the intimidation that people feel around around cheese, fine cheeses, and, and cooking with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cheesemonger Stevens was really a follow up to that. In, in, in that, uh, the first book, I, I just the, the uh, chapter about. Uh, Fruits and vegetables, and, and uh, was just too hard to whittle down. And I had so many recipes, and it just ah. kept going. And um, I was also—I've always, as a chef and as a cheesemonger, and as somebody who's um, traveled the world, I'm, I'm just amazed at, at the seasonality of cheeses and mm-hmm. the, uh, the availability at certain times of year for just really wonderful mm-hmm. uh, cheeses that aren't always at the peak or even available other times of the year. And I think a lot of people don't know that. So I, I wanted to explore that idea mm-hmm. uh, in. Now, my first question was going to be, how did the book, this particular book idea come about? But it sounds like it just evolved from the first book. It did, yeah. And I really, you know, I wanted, there was, you know, there's so much to say. It was, you know, it was, um, you know, again, as we look at the seasonality of cheeses and we start to look at fruits and vegetables and, um, 
cooking, excuse me, I think that idea has certainly caught on in America in the past 10 years, 15 years, um, mm-hmm. you know, across the board. And so that's not a foreign idea. Right. But as we look to artisanally made products, um, especially uh, dairy products, which at the end of the day really are agricultural products, right. as you know, um, as they all start with grass and they, you know, they then, you know, become, uh, become milk and it, you know, it goes from there. Um, there's a seasonality of those and there's mm-hmm. certain times where these, where, where certain cheeses are just at their best. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. as we look around at what we're going to pair them with or what we're going to cook them with, uh, we often find that the fruits and vegetables, uh, in those seasons tend to go really well with them. So right. in that sense, Mother Nature's already in the, mm-hmm. in the job of food bearing. So by seasons, you're referring to both the cheese seasons and the fruit and vegetable seasons in the book, and how they uh, yeah. how they hit each other. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I always, you know, I, I personally living in Southern California, I'm, I'm exposed to strawberries in in in, in January. Right. Whether they actually Lucky taste you. like anything in January, <laughs> you know, remains to be seen. But you know, we we we, we tend to have that of things year round. Um, but I use the the farmers market as an almanac in a way to kind of inspire me in terms of what what I want to cook. And I, I encourage people to do that very same thing with cheeses and, and visiting cheese shops and, mm-hmm. and cheese makers and, and, and seeing what's really at its peak and really amazing right then and designing your menu around that and mm-hmm. what you're going to cook will, will be influenced by what's really at its best as opposed to the premeditated idea of what you really want to cook and then setting out to find those ingredients. Mm-hmm. Now, as a chef, you, you work at Jones on 3rd in Los Angeles? That's our family. Uh, our family owned and operated uh, uh, shop. Yeah. Okay. Were these um, recipes already? You were already cooking at the store, or selling to people, or newly creating? No, these are really focuses. I've, I've, you know, I've made. Uh, you know, I've lived in, uh, lived in Italy and lived in England and traveled France, and I, um, you know, I'm obsessed with uh, with food uh, culture and and um, and, and history. And uh, I, I, more than anything, I think I've, I've really looked towards the cultures where the cheeses, the great cheeses of the mm-hmm. world really are made. And I, mm-hmm. I start to look at what the farmers are eating and what the locals in that community uh, tend to do with their own cheeses uh, to inspire them. So a lot of these recipes, uh, yeah, they, they, it's the very type of cooking that we do at Jones on 3rd mm-hmm. um, in terms of its seasonality. And it's taking very good ingredients and doing very little mm-hmm. to them, which mm-hmm. is a... a, a, a a mantra of mine. Um, and certainly yeah, an really easier about, way to entertain. The, it's a mantra of mine because it's an easier way to entertain. Just, you know. It's so much easier. Yes. Right. Yes. I, I find people are just amazed when you give a, a really, really perfectly cooked spaghetti with incredibly good extra virgin olive oil and perfectly cooked garlic. And, and they think, well, what, what, how is this so delicious? And they, mm-hmm. you know, because the ego gets out of the way and you just focus on really great ingredients and doing them really well. And it's all it, it's all it takes. Mm-hmm. How does a recipe become yours? Oh, God. Um, that's a great question. I, you know, honestly, I don't really ever take ownership of a recipe. It's mm-hmm. funny. I was I was mentored by a, a, a very uh, wonderful man named Carlo Medioni in San Francisco who um, w- was just uh, incredible. He you know he taught us that we were really more anthropologists than than artists mm-hmm. in the kitchen, and that we were trying to preserve the uh, the cultures of the great cooking of Italy in this particular case. Um, you know by recreating these dishes and keeping them alive. So. Um, you know, if there's nothing new under the sun, and if there's some flavor combination I may have stumbled upon uh, that seems unique or is new, then I, I think it's either totally by accident or chances are it does exist somewhere else in the world. So, mm-hmm. um, 
And again, I think that goes again back to that idea of taking the ego mm-hmm. out of the food mm-hmm. and just being able to appreciate it for what it is, which mm-hmm. is just delicious. But are there rules about that in terms of cookbooks, you know, cookbook rules in terms of putting a recipe in that someone will say, I had that first? No, I mean it's really. I mean it's very hard. It's you know it's, it's hard to copyright a recipe per se, okay. especially when we're looking at traditional foods. Right. You know? um, so uh, I love to give credit where credit's due, and part of the part of my passion about writing cookbooks is obviously telling the stories uh, leading up to the recipes mm-hmm. because I think especially when we're trying to recreate other other cuisines of other cultures, the uh, the why of a recipe is imminently as important as the how yes. of a recipe. You know? mm-hmm. Especially if you really want to appreciate all the all the flavors of a dish, which aren't just what's in your mouth, but what's in your what's in your mind and your heart as you're mm-hmm. enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Now, how much work on, and do you have help? How much work do you have in refining the recipes for the public to cook? Like, do you have to dumb them down for us, or are they exactly the way you might prepare it in a restaurant or at home? Well, I mean, I, I like, I, I know a lot of, you know, amazing chefs who have Michelin restaurants and they, you know, they, they, they struggle with that idea of how to take this restaurant cooking and, and uh, translate it to the home. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be extremely passionate about the, 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 the rural and traditional cooking of France and Italy and, uh, and mm-hmm. England. Um, which ultimately starts in the home, and then it finds its way up to the uh, into the kitchens uh, of the restaurants, but ultimately comes back to the home. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I, I go back to the to the grandmas uh, mm-hmm. and the uh, and, and the mothers who are cooking so so wonderfully in, uh, in the places that I visited and lived. And I find that it's, it's easily translated. But again, it really comes down to taking those great ingredients and, and, and doing very little to them. And so this is all very humble, simple, mm-hmm. farmstead cooking mm-hmm. um, from a variety of different uh, different places. Mm-hmm. So the recipes are more almost composed than uh, slaved over the stove. Certainly. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a passion for, for fresh pastas and, and, and uh, flatbreads and making mm-hmm. dough, and I, I do love that, and I, I have a, a pretty deft hand at it, and, and, but I do it every day, and I love to cook that way for my family and my mm-hmm. children. And that, so that. That's something I love to do, but mm-hmm. some of the recipes I find people responding to the most are the simple things like getting really, really wonderful crisp uh, rainbow radishes into a definitely ripe uh, brie yes. and, and eating that uh, on its mm-hmm. own. And you know, here there's no cooking involved. It's sort of the idea of putting these two things together. Right, and you, um, if you haven't thought of it before, it's a it's an amazing idea. And it's delicious. a revelation. I mean, yeah. look at everybody's recently. You know, honey. You find honey on it. You know, it sort of drizzled all over the cheese boards of the mm-hmm. restaurants, and that's mm-hmm. the natural combination that's been going on in farmers markets in Europe for for centuries. So. Mm-hmm. Now, how long yeah. from beginning to end would, do you work on a book like this? Oh goodness! I, you know, some of the recipes or the stories are things that I I, 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 I take note of in my journeys, and mm-hmm. uh, other times I. In the case of Cheesemonger Seasons, it was it was really a delight to go, to have that mandate and have that uh, that seasonal uh, uh, calendar to look at and say, okay, here's you know these are when these vegetables are are at their height and these are when these cheeses are at their height and how can I go about doing this? But um, you're actually right, really quickly, I'd say within within six months the whole book is pretty much done. And in the case of uh, both books, I did I did some of the photography as well, which. Hmm. Um, can actually be almost more arduous than the actual writing of the recipe. Mm-hmm. And the photos are beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank Both you. of the cheese yeah, so, and the uh, food. Well, the um, the the approach to and I'm really no photographer. I think I have a 
a pretty good eye and a, mm-hmm. and a really nice camera, which I think goes a long way. But it kind of comes back to that idea of, of simple as best. You take natural lighting and beautifully, naturally, um, wonderful looking product and there's mm-hmm. not much you can do to, to, to mess it up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cheese has a, has a life to it. It has a, a beauty to it. All the, all of its imperfections are what make it so beautiful and mesmerizing mm-hmm. and the bandage wrapping and the, and the, mm-hmm. the, the leaves that are used to wrap around some or the, just the chalky whiteness and the textures of it are, they're, they're mesmerizing. Right. So and the close-ups. To to that is a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you say there's less food styling that goes on in a cheese picture than in uh, a food picture? For me, it is, yes. And, you know, in the case of the cheese, I, I also worked with uh, Joseph Tadeo, who, who did a lot of photos in my first book, and we were nominated for the James Beard Award for those, which was really, mm-hmm. really an honor for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it really became, uh, you know, obviously for, for him to do more of the food styling aspect of it and for me to just kind of take the the raw, natural uh, shots of, of some of the ingredients, and, and especially the cheeses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you take a big, huge reel of Cantal, and you split it in half, and you put it up against the right background and in some natural sunlight, and, and that's it. It's, it you know, two or three shots, and you know you have that picture, because uh-huh. it's just capturing the essence of that, that raw beauty in its all its glory. Mm-hmm. Now, which uh, what part of writing the book is the hardest part for you? Are there any parts that make you think, I'm never doing this again? <laughs> you know, whittling it down is really difficult. Uh, you know, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, um, I have a bit of an addiction when it comes to books anyway. It's a good profile of, of not only history, but cookbooks, uh, um, uh-huh. almost to a fault. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, I buy so many wonderful three and four and 500 page books. Um, I mean, even uh, uh, Clifford Wright, who did the uh, the forward to Chismonger's Kitchen, is is famous for an incredible Mediterranean feast, which uh-huh. comes in somewhere around uh, 700 pages. So, and I think, boy, that's the book. I, I, I'm probably destined to write that book because it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's almost easier. I, I can't remember who it was that once said, um, I you know, who wrote a four-page letter to a friend and, at the end of it, he uh, he said, "P.S. I'm I'm sorry I couldn't have made this note shorter, but I just didn't have time." And <laughs> it takes time yeah, to make it, things it, short. It does. It really does. So I, as I as I as I'm obviously uh, illustrating now, you can just go on and on and on. Right. So you don't like to exclude recipes. You like want to include them all. I do. Yeah. And maybe then then I do become a little uh, possessive or or mm-hmm. or. or fatherly in that regard that I uh-huh. said, wait a minute, these, these are wonderful recipes, and there's just this sort of finite, you know, uh, place to, to put them. Mm-hmm. Do you take time but, off to write, or do you fit it somehow fit it into your schedule? Um, these days I've been writing pretty much more and more. I'm doing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I'm researching uh, uh, two other books right now and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, developing those recipes, so it's really, you know, it has, some, it has kind of taken over in a, a life of its own is something mm-hmm. that started out as a, as a simple a simple desire to, you know, I, I sell cheese uh, when I'm not cooking, you know, in the shop and we have over like, some hundred and some odd cheeses on a great day and I, over the years I, I just, I love being there and, and putting cheese in people's hands and mm-hmm. setting it down their throat mm-hmm. at times and saying, just taste it. Don't worry about what you think you're supposed to like. Just mm-hmm. try this. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, that doesn't mean you're less sophisticated. It just means you ha- you don't like that cheese. That's fine when you do. Right. Um, but cheese is like, uh, it's like fine wine or art. People are, are, are made to feel that if they don't know everything about it, then they might as well not know anything. And, and I really, I, I really hate that. I don't like that snobbery. I think you know, cheese is such a, it's a wonderful thing mm-hmm. for people to discover what they like. And mm-hmm. the 
the more I, I um, had that interaction with, with people, the more I realized, boy, they, one, of the, one of the great ways to just sort of get over that is to, you know, bring that cheese into the kitchen and cook with it the way mm-hmm. um, those back in Europe are, are, are so used to doing. So mm-hmm. that's how it started. And now, as I said, it's just become, um, you pull one thread and suddenly the, you know, the whole thing starts unraveling. And, oh, I should do a book about this. And that's the next, you know. <laughs> I was going to ask you, that segues into the next question and I'm wondering still what the answer is. You know, because your books start with the cheesemonger, is that your primary identity? Is it cheesemonger, chef, or writer at this point? At this point, um, boy, I guess it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination of all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am branching away from the cheesemonger series for a moment to work on a, um, uh, a very comprehensive book about Italian flatbread, which I think is, oh. um, you know, on, on one hand, we, we think pizzas, but uh, there, there's such a lar- almost a diaspora of different heartbreads uh, throughout Italy that start with focaccia, but then go into some really mm. unbelievably esoteric and bizarre, almost uh, mm-hmm. crepe-like creations right mm. in northern Italy. Um, and it's uh, it's I've got something like 250 recipes already, you know, put together <laughs> uh, for, for that tome. Uh, that'll get whittled down to another 90, I'm sure. But it's uh, it's, um, it's certainly it's a passion of mine. I, I love dough and I love I love baking and, and mm-hmm. you know, of course, cheese always finds its way in there. But um, no, I was just, I was a chef for many years and lived throughout, you know, lived in, in all over Italy mm-hmm. um, when I was uh, younger and uh, just exposed to every element of the kitchen. And so, I, I unfortunately, I find a, a passion um, in pretty much every aspect. I could do a book on olive oil. I could <laughs> do a book on, on charcuterie. I could, I could, you know, it, it's and maybe it's, you it's, will ingredients. Maybe yeah, you really will. Is, it, these incredible ingredients that you're given that are they're just a blessing, and a little bit goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you like the researching part as well. Oh, I love it. I mm-hmm. do. I love the history of it and, and the, um, you know, telling stories, because I do get a chance to travel with my family, and we make it a point that they're farms and mm-hmm. these makers and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, the agricultural parts of, of Europe, which I think are more interesting than, than, than the museums as mm-hmm. much as I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's time for us to take a break. We're going to get into those topics after the break. Uh, this is Cutting the Curd. This is Diane Stemple talking to Chester Hastings, the author of The Cheesemonger Seasons. We'll be right back. listening to Aztec Soldiers by the Spiral Jetty Club. Dairy Farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. We're thrilled to announce a special event, the Silver Snail, 25 Years of Slow Food. This event is hosted by Slow Food USA, Heritage Radio Network, and Roberta's Pizza. It's been 25 years since Carlo Petrini and a group of activists launched a peaceful revolution to defend regional traditions, good food, gastronomic pleasure, and the slow pace of life. The slow food movement has since evolved into a comprehensive approach to food that recognizes strong connections between plate, planet, people, politics, and culture. Today, this movement involves thousands of projects and millions of people in more than 160 countries worldwide. Join us for a dialogue between Slow Foods founder Carlo Petrini and locavore activist Alice Waters as they reflect on the evolution of the food movement and all things slow. Friday, October 3rd from 11.30 to 2.30. You can go to our website and click on the link on the right-hand side of the page to RSVP. We can't wait to see you there. Hey, my name is Betsy Andrews, executive editor of Severa Magazine, and I am hanging out at the coolest, most delicious place in the world, heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, it's Diane Stample on Cutting the Curd. I'm back with Chester Hastings, who's written The Cheesemonger's Season and The Cheesemonger's Kitchen. Are you back, Chester? I'm right here, yes. Oh, good. So um, I know you referred to traveling in Europe, learning about cheese and food and cooking. Where were your main um, lessons learned, and how often do you get to go back? Oh, well, um, you know, I was very blessed at a young, very early age. Um, I was sent by my mentor as his apprentice uh, to, to Italy, and I, I spent um, a little over two years uh, all over uh, Italy. So I you know, started in, in Venice and, and mm-hmm. worked my way down all the way to Sicily. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in Sicily, I think I really, I really, it all kind of came together for me uh, mm-hmm. because I, I really had an opportunity to to do and see things that I, I just had never dreamed of, including uh, m- milking sheep at four in the morning and then making a ricotta ah. with that, uh, that fresh sheep's milk and then eating that hot ricotta with uh, with homemade sesame bread with these, these amazing shepherds that didn't even speak Italian. It was an amazing patois of, of Arabic and Sicil- uh, Italian and Greek. And it was It was just an incredible experience for me, and the flavors... Of that uh, still linger uh, mm-hmm. with me, and it really inspired me to to look uh, to the homes. Of, mm-hmm. of, you know, I spent some time working. Uh, you know, it was best to work with Harry in Harry's Bar in Venice, and mm-hmm. um, uh, restaurant Diana in, in Bologna. Uh, but and as much as I learned from those great restaurants and, and being in those in those kitchens, it really was being in the in the in the homesteads and the farmhouses of these of these uh, rural. Um, locations that mm-hmm. that really inspired me to 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 cook uh-huh. um, in a way that I, I continue to cook to today. Uh-huh. Um, I go back pretty much every you know, as much as we can. My family loves to travel, obviously, and and mm-hmm. uh, and, and absorb that. So we you know we, when my son was 
was one year old, we put him on the on a plane and, and brought him with us to to Piemonte to visit a, a goat farm ah. uh, way up in the Alps, which mm-hmm. was uh, just an incredible experience. That was his first trip to Europe. That was his first trip, <laughs> and since we've gone back to, to Provence, and we're, we're planning a trip out to the uh, to the Cotswolds uh, next next year as well, because uh, uh-huh. the the food scene in England has just exploded in a way. That's uh, true. That is. Really exciting, and not not as it was when I was there in the early nineties, uh, living and cooking in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just had not it had not reached the the fevered pitch it is now. Well, English cheese has has grown in amazing leaps and bounds as well. The artisanal cheese. It has. Yes, it has. It has. And it's funny saying all of this about Europe. Uh, you know, and I, um, it's it, it really dawned on me a few years back when I went back to my hometown of San Francisco. Uh, for the first uh, the first slow food uh, festival mm-hmm. um, that was being uh, done here, uh, that where I saw eighty thousand people come to San Francisco, and all there to taste American made artisanal products. And this was everything from the goat cheese in upstate New York to the prosciutto in Iowa, and uh, jams made everywhere. It was just amazing because I realized, in a way. I, I kind of had it wrong. I was I've always been focused on getting those those ingredients from Europe and bringing them back here to recreate those flavors of those cuisines. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have our Italian own Italian way to cook, or even the French mm-hmm. way to cook, would be to take what's fresh and local and made right up the road from you as as close as possible, and use that and try to create something out of that because that's ultimately mm-hmm. the. Uh, the mentality behind it. So while these incredible artisans will never, they're not going to recreate or reproduce, uh, say, Parmigiano Reggiano, there certainly are incredible cheeses um, that are in their own right as good mm-hmm. um, and developing in their own history mm-hmm. here in America. And that, that, that really excited me to see all of these American artisanal products mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. taking root. In your book, you're very good at describing and convincing the reader of the need for some unusual ingredients, like one was the pine syrup. Uh, what is <laughs> that? Bolio, yes. Yeah, that's from Italy. It's from Italy, and it's so funny you say that. Tell and me I, about I that one. Last night was I have a seven, my son's seven year old, and he's still trying to convince his friends of you know he tried to get the story down right because he loves to tell the story almost as much as he likes the syrup. But uh-huh. um, this is made by an amazing woman. Um, my 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 son calls her a witch, but I think he means <laughs> that in a wonderful way. Um, and she goes around up in uh, northern Italy in the uh, in the Alps, mm-hmm. and she picks the pine cone buds while they're still just buds, and she uh, puts them in these big, huge glass jars, and they it leaves them there for a few days in the sun, and they they uh, all their uh, what little syrup or sap is, is is in them will will get released, and then she takes that sap and cooks it down with uh, with raw sugar over in these copper cauldrons over these 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 olive wood fires mm-hmm. uh, out in the woods. And she cooked that down to this incredible syrup, and it is uh, it has the it has the the, the flavor of a pine forest, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not medic- it's not medicinal in any way. It's, it, is it's it sweet? Very. Oh, it's very sweet. Okay. Yeah, it's and it and it, literally a drop of 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 or two of that on on a bowl of vanilla mm-hmm. ice cream is, is all you need. And is um, it the consistency and, of honey or honey? Yeah, okay. yeah, honey, somewhere between a really thick maple syrup and a honey. Okay. Yeah. And what color yeah. is it? And it, uh, it's a beautiful dark dark amber color that mm. that um, the, the dark caramel. I mean, it looks black in the jar, and then you pour it out onto onto. Um, I love it with sharp cheeses, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or, or blue cheeses. Um, there's a wonderful chalky uh, 
uh, cheese from from the area where this is made um, that, uh, that that I love it with. But it's um, it's also delicious on ice cream. I put a little drop on vanilla ice cream with some toasted sesame seeds, and mm-hmm. it really is one of the most elegant flavors. I've even heard people make a martini out of it as well. So uh. <laughs> these days they throw anything into drinks. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. But again, it's this idea, you know, it's like a really true chateau balsamico, which you know these mm-hmm. days is, is 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 not really known by people because that that has become such a such a, a, a distilled, almost bastardized thing in so many ways. But the really, really true Achita Balsamico mm-hmm. is, I mean, an eyedropper is needed to really right. um, dispense the amount one would need. And so right. what seems as, 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 as overly expensive or cost-prohibitive ingredient, a little bit goes such a long way that in the end, it's, it's, it's really not, if taken care of and put in a dark place, you can, you can have it for months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It lasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do you get it in Los Angeles? Uh, well, we uh, Jones on Third. We you know we sell, we sell a lot of it. Oh, okay. You know, more and more okay. online. Even I, I think um, online is a great resource these days for people to you know who don't find have anything. A, mm-hmm. uh, a really fine foods or gourmet retail store in, the, in their shop. And there's some incredible uh, resources online that uh, even I use when I, mm-hmm. I have a hard time finding something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now these recipes in your book, you make them at home and you make them in the store. Which would you recommend for parties with younger children? Well, again, I you know, uh, food is one of those things. If you don't talk down to people or you don't cook down to people, you'll find it's you know. I, these days, I, I have little little six year old girls asking at the cheese counter for the stickiest blue they've got. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, so it, it, it is amazing to me the palate of a small child that just fed you know real food from an early age. Mm-hmm. That's what they'll eat is real food. Right. Um, you know, if if you only sort of cater or pander to that that little delicate palate of theirs, um, I, I think they're missing out on a lot. But mm-hmm. having said that, you know, moving forward, um, there are so many of the recipes, especially the pastas and um, and and the. The, the the peaches and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature where you mm-hmm. can, you know, take food that they already like. I mean, one of my kids' favorites is the strawberry risotto, which is a very traditional uh, Venetian uh, recipe. Um, and it's, you know, what kid doesn't like pasta with butter and cheese, which That's at the end true. of the day is, 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 right. is what the flavor profile of a risotto is. Uh, but here it's stained with the sugar-sweet, beautiful strawberries, and it, it mm. becomes this very romantic pink, and you throw those in just at the end, and so there's that Really seductive, warm fruit uh, chunks inside this, uh, this this creamy risotto, but with the Parmigiano cheese and a little bit of cracked pepper, if you like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's mesmerizing, and it just it seems so romantic and mysterious in a way, and yet it it's it's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so things mm-hmm. like that, kids love. That sounds great. Um, now, what mm-hmm. American cheeses have excited you in recent years? I know you're on the West Coast. You have you've you have a great many cheesemakers to go visit. Do you visit them? I do, yes, I, and I, I love uh, the opportunities at the American Cheese Society uh, events, and even um, yeah, going up uh, to Petaluma, I was there for the um, the cheese festival last year as their guest of honor, and so I, yeah, meeting cheesemakers to me is, is just like meeting rock stars, you know, uh-huh. um, it's, 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 it's just, a, I get all giddy and weird, and here I live in L.A., I can see famous people all the time and don't think anything of it. But, right, right, um, movie stars, who cares? <laughs> yeah, you can have them. Um, and uh, so you know, and I and I love a lot of the. I, I'm always fascinated by the people that have forged it, that have been doing it before anybody thought it was cool to do, or before it was you know smart or financially you know soluble to do. But I mm-hmm. do think, um, I mean, and again, uh, 
things like Rogue River uh, Blue, which is just one of the most amazing um, cheeses in the world on its own right. And uh-huh. here's a cheese that obviously took uh, its inspiration from Valdeon and some of the great Spanish blues of, of uh, wrapping raw cow's milk uh, in uh, in wine-soaked uh, grape leaves and mm-hmm. inoculating it and letting it do its thing. But uh, it's an amazing cheese, and the people that make it are just as amazing in Southern mm-hmm. Oregon there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, the Tarantese Reserve, which was a big hit at the uh, most recent American Cheese Society. Uh, the best in show. That, that, that's an, yeah, it's an incredible cheese, and mm-hmm. it really reminds us of those great uh, Alpine French cheeses, mm-hmm. like Beaufort and Cantal, that we we long for, and as... as as laws get more sort of uh, Orwellian almost when it comes to bringing some of these cheeses in, let alone making them at all anymore, mm-hmm. it really we're we're forced to look around us and find those those flavors that we can get. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Island Brebe out of out of Washington is incredible as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sheep's milk, an aged sheep's milk cheese, and I'm a huge fan of pecorinos, both young and aged. Which mm-hmm. are the pecorinos are the, the aged sheep's milk cheeses of Italy, mm-hmm. um, and that reminds me of the really great. Pecorinos out of uh, out of Sardinia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just got that wonderful nutty flavor that, that that comes from from aging really good quality sheep's milk mm-hmm. that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Winemere from Jasper Hill is incredible. Of course, it's uh, it's there's a, there's a cheese called Forstercasa, which which it reminds me of as mm-hmm. well. Um, but it's just it's, it's also it's wrapped on par with, with some ru- of the with wood. Best. Go ahead. It's also wrapped with wood. Forstercasa. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, and I, just the mystery and the, the passion of all of these amazing uh, people here in America that are doing uh, leaps and bounds to, to, to further that idea of taking what's good and local and fresh and, mm-hmm. and, and making it magical for us and mm-hmm. creating our own history and our own culture with that. It's it's just exciting. It's there's an ex- another book in and of itself. Just <laughs> it's an American exciting it's an exciting time to be in food, I guess. Well, thank you, Chester, very much for speaking to me about your book and about your cheese thoughts and travels. Uh, everyone should look for his book, The Cheesemonger Seasons. And goodbye from Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd. I'll be back in October talking to Lou DiPaolo, author of DiPaolo's Guide to the Essential Foods of Italy. Thanks very much. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org heritage radio network is a 501c3 non-profit to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening Cheers.